Welcome to the Alien Probe Podcast. It is Saturday, April 15th, 2023. I'm Doug. Joined today is... How are you today, Raymond? I'm fine. I'm fine. So, um, Planet Savior, that's your book? That's right. How long ago did you start writing that there, Raymond? Well, that's a, that's a good question. It really goes way back. Um in the 70s, of all things, I got an Apple II Plus computer. It had Apple Pie uh, editing software. And I was reading uh, Goethe. And I think it was, uh, yeah, and uh, I, I was wondering how that story that he, he was telling would translate into modern times. So I thought I'd play with the Apple II Pie and uh, write up a little thing. And from there, it got stuck on a back shelf, back burner. And I would get well, once in a while, every couple of years, I'd Take with a little bit, and then I decided to try it with uh, Amazon with uh, KDP. It became easy to publish, not to succeed at publishing, was to publish. So this is your only book. You had this is a second version of a, another. But did you publish the first book, or was it? Yes, yes. And this is published as an update. How long ago did you publish? Um, what was the name of the first version? Um, wrong, wrong, wrong turn. Wrong turn. And Terrors. So, how long ago did you publish that one? I think that was 2019. Why did you decide to update it and give uh, give it to Planet Saviors, the current version? Well, I just decided that it didn't end at the right point, and I wanted to have a better ending, but I couldn't um, see turning into a series. Uh, it didn't seem appropriate, so. I just reintroduced re, uh, it with a new title. So you've had quite a um, career. I was noticing your career. What? What? Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what brought you into up to you know being an author? Well, I was sort of an author in mathematics. I uh, I wrote a bunch of papers back in the um, late seventies and uh, about half a dozen papers and partial differential equations. So I, I wasn't author of the sort, but um, I can't really explain why I decided to write this book. I, I liked the story and I liked it. I, I sort of sketched it in, liked it very much. And so I thought, what the hell, I got free time. I'll yeah. spend some time on this. So after you were in school, what did you, uh, you were in the Pentagon, you were in the military, what'd you do there? Well, um, the Vietnam War was going on, and uh, I was uh, I was uh, in, the, in the reserves because I was talked into it. I didn't understand it. I, I, I asked, what happens if I don't like the Navy? And they said, well, you can just leave at any time. What they meant was you just leave the reserves at any time and go active. <laughs> yeah. So after I graduated, I was active, and I, I didn't like it a bit. But in Philadelphia, the Navy Yard, they, uh, they pulled me aside and said they were looking for four people to work in the Pentagon. And I couldn't turn that down. Oh, it was no. a nice, nice job. And it, was, it was kind of an odd job because at that time, computers were pretty new, pretty new concept, you know, mainframes. And, uh, they didn't have anything like what we have today. They didn't have anything like a PC. It was all mainframe stuff. And uh, we, the Pentagon was doing a project, which is very interesting. Um, uh, Lyndon Johnson, very, very little known fact about Lyndon Johnson is that he was very concerned about servicemen in the United States 
who are serving their country and were black and were unable to buy housing or rent housing near the base. There's a real problem. And it wasn't, they didn't, it wasn't publicized. Johnson's uh, commissioned four of us to verify verify the computer results because he, he wanted constant feedback like every month on the statistical situation. What, what percentage of housing, housing units in the vicinity of military bases were willing to rent on a non-discriminatory basis and which ones weren't? And he wanted those numbers to improve every month. What, year, didn't, what they, year was that, Raymond? When That would be... Um, See, that would be around uh, 70, 71. Oh, yeah. 72, 71. Yeah. And uh, so so we did that. We, we Every month, the computer statistics would come in. We would sit down with the Freedom and Monroe calculators. We were really going back to time. And we would verify the computer calculations, which were just percentages, but it took, a, it took a day or two. And that was a great job. So I was there for a couple of years. And then I went to graduate school. In math at Northwestern. Um, well, actually, I had a job between the two. Uh, I worked for a small think tank in DC. And um, that was interesting work. It was uh, for the Department of Transportation, they were doing noise, noise, noise abatement models. So, what they wanted was a model of an airport. And if they made certain treatments to reduce the noise from the airport, um, the cell treatments, the aircraft, or whatever insulation, they wanted to be able to predict what the effect would be before they actually did it. And uh, at the time, there was uh, again computers were brand new, and there was a company that had an edge in that market. They had a they had a program. It was a box of cards, and it ended up with dots on a map, and a, and a draftsman had to come in and actually connect those dots to draw the curves of equal noise exposure. So I had the job of coming up with an improvement to that. And I was really horrified at the time. It was my first job. And I didn't know any Fortran. I didn't know anything about computers. I certainly didn't know anything about noise. So that was a real challenge to pull that off. And I was successful in that. Very nice. So I went back to it, Was it the, um, excuse, is it the noise inside the airport? That you hear no. the aircraft inside the airport or on the tarmac you or? Hear, you hear people taking off and landing. And you're worried about the people on the ground, you know, the, the uh, community, getting complaints about the noise. And so um, the, the way it works is when a plane is low to the ground, there's a thing called noise attenuation. And the, the grass and the plants actually suck up some of the noise. Oh, wow. So it's better. It's a little bit quieter when, when you're down low. When you get up high, there's no, nothing much blocking the noise. And it gets worse. And it's at different angles, it's different. The signature around the plane is, is a, it's, a, it's not a circle. It's a, some areas are larger than others. So there was a lot to learn, and uh, I had a ball. And then I went to uh, economics, economic times took a little downturn. And my boss said that I could go to graduate school. Um, he, would, he would let me work there until I was ready to go. So I did that. Went to Northwestern and got a PhD in math. But you weren't, you were kind of an average student. It was interesting that you got a PhD. My, my buddy was a PhD and he, he was a brainiac when we were in school, we grew up together and he was, you're very average. And then you end up getting the, I, I was kind of a struck a familiar tone with your algebra story. Cause I got a D in algebra. <laughs> I've never forgotten it. <laughs> well, I was not a very good student ever. Uh, even in public schools or even in college. 
until I got to graduate school. And in graduate school, everything changes. Up until graduate school, you're a good student if you're obedient and do what you're told when you're told how you're told. In graduate school, the rules change. They say, I'm not going to tell you what to do. It's not what you're told or how you're told. You, you figure out how to do it. And you make a publishable paper, say something, put something down that is not obvious to people in the trade. And that's a real challenge. And some people can't, can't do it. It's, it requires a breakthrough of some sort. You have to see something that no one else has seen. Yeah. It's not predictable who's going to succeed, who's going to fail at that. Some people came to graduate school very cocky and sure they could be on top of the class and they were on the bottom. Yeah. And uh, some of the other way around. So you... I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't re I wouldn't recommend it unless you really love math. <laughs> so with Planet Saviors, uh, how did you come up with the um, the main character names? You know, we've got uh, Stella and John and Walt and Millian. Is Oig how do you pronounce it? Oigen? Yes. How, I, how... I, don't know. They're just, I just picked them out of the air. Yeah, no rhyme or reason. I had an author on last, uh, Dan Harari, last week, and he had very specific reasons that he selected the names of the, the characters, or you know, so I just pulled them just randomly. Oh, that's interesting. Well, the names, the names, uh, I didn't do, but, but um, you know, uh, Shaw, uh, George Bush Shaw said that what he wrote, he he started with a collection of characters that he thought interacted well, were interesting. And then he said, just let it rip. And that's kind of what I tried to do. So I, I tried to define the characters, personalities, and then just let it rip. It was very simple. How long did it take you to uh, do the upgrade, or between the two books, how long did it take you to uh, get write those? Well, it wasn't very long, but again, it was sporadic. It's every now and then. I, I guess altogether, if you add it up, it was probably two or three months. Yeah. So the the story, there's Stella. Tell us a little bit about Stella. Well, um, I don't know if this is the sort of thing your your, your viewers uh, normally uh, talk about on the show, but um, it's not really it's not really science fiction in the sense of gee whiz gadgets, that sort of thing, or um, Wookiees or anything like that. It's about if there's a scientific aspect, it's really about. Um, Genetic engineering I think, is at the heart of it, and and human and, uh, personalities, human tendencies. Um, Stella lives on a planet which is paradise by our standards. They have they're a million years ahead of Earth technologically. Now, I don't know. I don't know if you, if you noticed that a lot of people don't have a grasp of what that means. To be a million years ahead. When I look at them. I look at Earth and the difference between 1900 and now is going from not even being sure about atoms to where we are. And that's a huge amount. So a million years is unimaginable. They're so far, far ahead that they, they don't work. They have robots do all the work. They don't get sick because they've pretty much conquered viruses and bacteria. Um, it's a pretty free and easy life. But Stella's view, she, she was born as an aberrant. They call her an aberrant. She was programmed to be docile and uh, easygoing and not a troublemaker, a perfect model citizen. But she loved uh, the book. The book opens with her being a child, about 10 years old, and she's up in a tree, high up in a tree. And her mother comes to the bottom and she's horrified. And Stella says, Do you want me to see me go higher? 
and her mother gasps and says, "There's no one to come down." So she she makes sure she doesn't spook her. You know, she doesn't scare her. She she talks her down, and that's kind of emblematic of Stella's personality. She wants to be on a buzz. She wants to be on a high. She wants adventure and excitement, and that's exactly not what she was programmed to do. And she's at odds with her the rest of her society. And so there's a few others like her, but she's pretty much in a class by herself. So she broke out kind of on her own, away from the genetic engineering. She somehow was a... a... Well, she, she was an engineer, but somehow it didn't take with her the way it took with the others. Yeah. And uh, so she she sees it as a, an atrocity that her, her countrymen are living what she calls like uh, spoiled brats. Yeah. They, they, did, they didn't let, let the fair to get where they are. They're, they're reaping all the benefits of earlier generations that did all the heavy lifting. They don't have um, interests or uh, they just want to be entertained. She calls them couch potatoes. Yeah. And this is a little bit allegorical, right? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like a reflection of where we're going to end up. <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, she she's pretty um, upset about this. And she... she uh, Gets to watching some Earth TV. Somebody's got a TV that will pick in the broadcast signals from Earth. Yeah, the 80s, the, the 80s sitcoms. Yeah, 80s sitcoms. She loves it. She said, she said that's, that's the way we are to be living now. These people can make happiness out of nothing. And so she comes to Earth. She wants to meet some humans and see if they will volunteer to come back with her to teach the people on her home planet how to live, how to live a good life. Well, um, that's the uh, the main plot, and so she meets this one character, John. He's a oh, what can I say? He's a Howard Stern type character. Oh, he's got a sharp sharp tongue. <laughs> can be a cervix, can be rude at times, um, but he's charismatic overall somehow. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit, but it does in his case. Were you a Howard Stern fan, Raymond? I like Howard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're you're an interesting guy. I know some of it. I was reading through some of the comments and things, and is, this isn't an adult necessarily. A, there's some steamy parts of it, but it's not really an adult science fiction. Well, I, I, I rather I rather err on the safe side. I mean, yeah, um, have people say it's pretty mild sex for. Yeah, I would well, say so. Then have some kid, you know, who isn't benefited by it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was well written. I I went through the book and I, I thought it was well portrayed. You know, I think uh, it's too easy to write sex scenes or yeah, you know, raunchy. And, yeah, that's the, easy. There's no point, and what's the point? You know, it takes yeah, away from the story. Right. So you got John, and then um, and then he's Walt- trying to he's, he's trying to save Earth. He, he believes that communism. We ought to be going to communists. Our whole world should be going communist. And he, uh, he's a, he's kind of a, a strange person. I knew some people like that. Yeah. Oh, devoted communists, and they. Oh, really? Oh yeah. They would read uh, Karl Marx or something and say, "Yeah, that's right. He's got, he's got the right ideas." I've never run a well, knowingly ran across anybody that was communist. There aren't and many. Yeah. No, I don't think there. Are. Yeah, I don't think they put it out there <laughs> too much. <laughs> I was in the military too. I was in, oh. so yeah. I was I was in in the seventies, 
So I'm familiar somewhat with what you're talking about, but it was, you know, better, you know, the communist was the stone enemy. I mean, better dead than red, you know? Right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, John, John and Stella get it on because she wants to, she hears so much about him. He's pumped up because he's a charismatic guy. And she wants to test him and see if he's really as great as they say. And of course she tests him in bed over a weekend. And uh, that's the sex part that, yeah, referred to, and uh, then they um, they have to make a decision about whether to go back with her, who to take along, or what to do. And that's that's the first end of the first one. The second one, they actually go back, and on the, on the voyage back, they uh, they work with a primitive planet that's going to have an asteroid storm and destroy them, and so they have to evacuate the planet, and they they take that as a, as a little cause. Um, and it, it wraps up the story, you know, and it has, all this stuff has to terminate somehow. You get the affair, you have the uh, political positions, and it has to terminate somehow. So that, that, that's the work of the second part of the book. How did you, now did you, do you have an interest necessarily in um, UFOs and extraterrestrials, or is it more of a political oh, I, thing that you yeah, kind no, of, I, I think, you know? I think, I think it's fascinating. Um, every year, it seems that there's a, a rash of sightings somewhere and a rash of opinions about whether they're real or not. Um, the questions that I was most fascinated by is, assuming they are real, which I, I do, um, why would they want to come here? If they're, if they're advanced enough to be able to travel somehow beyond the speed of light, which they'd have to be, I think, why would, why would they want to come here? That was my first question. And the second question is, if they were to come here, what would they think of us? So in the story, there's a, a thing called the FUP report. The FUP is a committee, a United Planet thing. So planets, what they're looking for is there is a bomb which can take down the galaxy. And they, they don't want any primitive planet to discover the formula for that bomb and go and get themselves in trouble and get other people in trouble. So they want to intercede with that particular case and do something to prevent that. But otherwise, they just want to observe the planet and see how they're doing. There's this fuck report, and it, it gives Earth very low marks. So when Stella back home says that she wants to go visit Earth, people say, well, why do you want to do that? I mean, have you read the fuck report? Don't you know what they say about the Earth things? And so she reads it. And when she's with John, one of the problems she has is uh, he he doesn't believe her at first. I mean, she says she's from outer space, and he's supposed to say, "Yeah, but it doesn't work that way." So he he wants some proof. He says, "You got to come up with something to convince him, something plausible that tells me that you're from outer space." And so she fumbles around coming up with things, but they at least come along with this fuck report. And she, she, she he tells her about the fuck report. I mean, she tells him about the fuck report. And the fuck report is, uh, I hate to spoil it for anybody who would want to read the book. I wouldn't want to say too much here, but basically they, they call Earth Fantasy Island in outer space because they think that we're very delusional as a, as a race compared to others that they see. And that's, that's her point. Um, uh, again, I don't want to spoil it. But no, we don't want to do too much into the... You know, too much into that. I just wanted to kind of develop, you know, how you develop the characters. I do have a question on the illustration, though, which uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to 
put up here. You have a copy of the book in front of you? I just have a black and white picture. I want to make sure everybody sees the cover since we want to put it out there. We have a lot of science fiction fans that are, uh, that that? uh, lift it up just a little bit. Cover your face with it. There you go. Not that we want to cover your face. That perfect. That'll work. But who did the illustration to that, Raymond? Do you know the person or is it just? I don't, I don't know her personally. I think her name was Myrna. M-I-R-A. I can't remember what it's saying. I really like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I well, you know, it's so important. Well, if you ever write a book, have you written any books? Oh, yeah. Oh, so you know all about it. So the importance of the cover. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It grabs you. And then you, you know, look at the synopsis, see if yeah. that gets you. Yeah. So, you know, I found it interesting. But, you know, I always like to see the viewpoint also of um, a person who's, you know, of your experience of, you know, what you think of, you know, the, I don't know if they've come here for, another theory is that they're from the future, they're extra tempestrials, mm-hmm. that they aren't actually from another galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's, uh you know, there. That's one theory. That's crazy. That's a crazy one. I kind of I semi-subscribe that these things that we see are us evolved over thousands upon thousands of years in the future. Because you can see how we've evolved from the past to the present. We certainly mm-hmm. continue to be involved, evolved going forward. So you know, on the show we have I, the show's premised around um, we have your average person. We don't have scientists. You're about as close to a scientist as we, yeah. Of course, I had my co-host uh, was also a scientist, um, but we don't have high-powered guy, you know, ufologists and things. But I have your average run of the your average person um, on the show that um, gives their opinion about what you know what is going on out there. And I like to see people's like, cause I always ask people on the street, I drive my wife crazy. Do you believe, cause I'll be, we'll be out and about a craft show or something. Do you believe in UFOs? And I like to hear people's opinion. And back in the day, so back in the day you would be, maybe not the seventies, but the sixties. If you would mention the fact that you believed in flying saucers and extraterrestrials, you'd be labeled as kind of a crackpot, right? I mean, you were, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really want to put it out there like you would today. Well, you know, when I look at what what convinces me, it's uh, I, I I've seen several people claim that they've seen UFOs, or even that they've been inside one. And the thing that I um, take into consideration is, I don't think very very many people are good liars. I believe that, uh, a good liar could fool me, but for example, it was this one time that they had five people who were all, uh, I guess, teenagers or early twenties or something. And they all claimed that they were taken up into this UFO and examined and then released. And um, they all five passed the lie detector test. And I, I just, I don't think that you, you get five random people who can pass a lie detector test with anything. Yeah. Not I five. Agree. I agree with that. And over and over again, they'll show these uh, pilots who have a story and the story is similar. And it's kind of the same thing. They're either all lying or something's yeah. goofier. And I, they don't seem like liars. They don't, they don't seem like they're lying. So that's, that's not scientific, but that, that convinces me that there's a strong probability that they're 
they're telling the truth. A lot of the discussion about why, you know, if they're around, they never, they always seem to crash in the middle of the desert. <laughs> you know, well, it's never in anybody's neighbor. Maybe that's just where they are because they're, they're observing nuclear facilities and, you know, rockets and armament and that type of thing. They're not really um, concerned about what goes on in a metropolitan city, although there's sightings there, but they never seem to crash there. <laughs> so it's, you know, your average person. Do, do you think that, uh, do you get the, the opinion that, uh, that on Earth, our population was planted here? That's one theory. We, mm-hmm. I explored in the show, we explore every possible explanation. It could have been planned. You know, there's one thing from, there's a theory about the moon. I don't know if you've heard this one. Right. Where it's, it's, hollow. it's hollow. It was brought from another uh, galaxy through a wormhole, possibly. But if you, you ever look at the moon, when there's a solar eclipse, it's exactly right the diameter of the sun. And what are the odds that the moon would be that exact size? Well, the one, one thing I'd like to, sometime when I have some time, I'll, I'd like to investigate um, this question. Can you mathematically or compute with a computer model the process of evolution? Because um, it's supposed to take place as random variants, random variations, and the most successful survivable mutation is the one that survives. And through a continual continue process, you go from <clears throat> one-celled organisms to intelligent life. Now, if you can model that on a computer and say that... Um, Here's a sequence of steps that would be required. Here's how long it would take to achieve intelligent life. Maybe you come to a conclusion that it's not possible that you could get from one cell to where we are now in this time of time that we've had. You must have started with something better than that. Now, have you heard that view? I haven't heard. That's an interesting. That's an interesting interesting thought. I. It's more probable we were brought, I don't know if we were, yeah, we, we came to this from a one-celled organism. That's, I would find that highly unlikely. What are the odds? Yeah. You know, but if we came from somewhere else, where'd they come from? How are they, yeah. you know, if we were developed, then how were the people that brought us here developed? Where'd they come from? Were they one-celled? So. Well, yeah. I don't think we we couldn't even describe the steps involved. Yeah. How would you go from an apparently intelligent being to one that's actually conscious and intelligent? How would you yeah. do that? What would the program look like? Have you heard of simulation theory? Yep. What do you think about that? You mean as it applies to what we're Well, just about? is it, I don't want to say possible, but I mean, is it something that is plausible? You know, are we not really here? Are we, is somebody else pulling the strings? Are we even this show? <laughs> is somebody oh. else? Is it a game that an alien teenager's playing? Have you seen The is Matrix? It, is you, it a dream? Is it a dream? Yeah, you've seen The Matrix, right? Do you watch right. science fiction, Raymond? Not a lot. I don't have the time. It's a, it's interesting. You made a science fiction book that's good, you know. You and that don't really even you know most. And I don't even know because I've never interviewed anybody who wrote science fiction except. Last week, uh, Daniel Harari, but um, but I think he had an interest in science fiction. So, 
you're more the more than science fiction. You're the philosophical as and political aspect of well. The there's planet. only so many only only so many hours in a day. You know? it's, uh, my days just disappear. Yeah, got to go out and shoot some pool almost every day. That's one thing. You have a pool table at your house. No, we got them all around the neighborhood though. So I, I like to get out and shoot a little bit. Are you Pennsylvania still? No, I'm in uh, near Chicago, Forest Park, western suburb. Oh, so you've got those hole-in-the-wall pool parlor kind of things? Yeah, yeah, all over the place. <laughs> they still are prevalent there, huh? That's interesting, like yeah. from way back when. The 30s, it used to be big. Yeah. Yeah, I had a pool table here at the house, and it mostly got, I do play pool, but it mostly got used for putting stuff on. <laughs> well, you know, what I, I learned the most interesting thing with pool. Um, and here, here's something that I think is fascinating. Over the years, I've tried every way imaginable to develop an aiming system that was superior. And I come to the conclusion after all that research that the best one is the one that you hear recommended over and over by the, the people who really know how to play the game. <laughs> They say you just shoot and you, you learn to see uh, what you're right on. You just see it. Um, your brain has the ability to register those things. And, you, know, you look out over the landscape. And, you know, when people are blind, when they're born blind, and their vision's restored, that happens now and then. They, um, they don't perceive the world the way we do. They, for example, they, they don't know whether a sphere is going to look round. Uh, you're going to give them several objects to choose from and say which one is the sphere. Now they know what a sphere feels like, but they can't relate that to what it looks like. So your brain is doing a lot of things for you. And, uh, you know, I just just recently I started trying to do with the uh, the pros say you should, you know, just learn, teach your brain how to recognize when a shot is on and when it's not. And that's just through repetition and focusing. And I'll be darned, it's, it really is true. That's That's the best way. Trying to look for mathematical trigonometric solutions, it doesn't work. I was going to ask, do you use the mathematical, you know, like the the dots on the side of, you know, and to do combo shots and things? Uh, I, I have tried all that stuff, and it, um, it just doesn't work. And you keep getting beaten by people who don't do any of that. Yeah. <laughs> and after after so many years, you learn your lesson. Let your brain do the work. Yeah, that's kind of the, yeah, I never did the math. I used the dots, kind of, <laughs> but I was fairly good. But it's a, it's a fun game, you know. Is that is that how you spend your days usually? Do you just, what do you? Well, I get out, I get out for an hour or so every other day or a couple times a week. Play for money? No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> people, people get too unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, you get at it. Get attitude, you know. What else do you do, Raymond? For uh, you other hobby, you you writing any new books or you, you know? No, I'm not. I'm not doing any more writing right now. Um, I uh, I exercise. I take boxing lessons. Oh wow! How you doing with I, that? Well, I got Parkinson's, and so uh, the boxing is very good for Parkinson's. It's good exercise. Get your blood going. Yeah, you actually you feel better after the workout than you did before. Yeah. So uh, all the people that I know with Parkinson's, who have tried boxing, like it, and it's women and men both. You're not actually boxing; you're sitting in a bag. 
to going through a boxing exercise workout. It's interesting. I thought boxing was kind of the cause of Parkinson's sometimes. Well, is it probably not? is, but we don't get hit on the head, though. Yeah, I know you guys wouldn't. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> are you still driving? You still? Oh, you, yeah. yeah. What kind of car you drive, Raymond? I have to know. I have an Avalon. Oh, okay. Avalon. 2012 Avalon. Nice. Nice. David. So, um, let's talk a little bit more about the other characters here in the book without divulging too much about it. How about uh, Walt? We got Walt. Walt's an interesting guy. He's based partially on my life. Um, he, uh, his significance in the book is that he had an, an event, a near-death event, which kind of changed the way he looked at the world, which I, which I had myself. When I was in high school, uh, this, when I was in high school, uh, we were coming toward the end of 12th grade, and uh, it started to warm up. It was a nice day. And we decided that we would go down to the, the, the this uh, nature area and just kind of goof around, do something. There was a dam. And the spring, with the spring waters, the, the, the dam was higher than usual, flowing over the top. And so we said, let's go out and walk across it, our bare feet. Well, I got out there a couple of steps, and my feet slipped out from underneath me on this mossy surface. And I went down in the middle of the flow. And when I, when I got down, um, I said, boy, it's a good thing I didn't hit my head on the dam. And then the next thing I said, which way is up? Oh. I didn't know which way it was up because it was just foam, circling, swirling foam. So um, I held my breath um, longer than I ever thought I could, probably three times as long as I thought I could. And everybody on shore said he's gone. There's no way he could survive this. But my head popped up out of the water just at the very split second. I was about to give up. Head popped up. I took a big breath of air and it pulled me down again. Oh. And then a friend of mine on top of the dam dove down and helped me help me to get out. Rescued you. Rescued wow. You. Nice. And the the, 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 uh, the scary part was, this is really weird. For a period of two weeks after that, I had this uh, this nagging doubt. I wasn't convinced that I was actually alive. I thought, how, how do you know that you're not laying on a hospital bed in a coma? dreaming all this shit up. And I, I couldn't convince myself that, that, that for sure that was not the case. But I didn't know. And uh, I met somebody else who had a similar experience. He was here. He had nightmares for a couple of months. It's a, it's a real life transformation. So that's what Walt, Walt had this life tra transformation where he, he, he looked death right in the eye and he got through it. And he no longer feared death. So he said, what the hell? I'm just going to do what I really want to do with my life. Yeah. And what, he wa what he wanted to do with his life was some sexual scientific investigations, <laughs> which sound sounds really weird. Made him, <laughs> made, him, made him an oddball. And he said, I don't give a damn. I'm going to do what I want. He's so his, his own guy. His own guy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of what the book's about. It's about different different approaches to, to life. It just seems like a fun book. You yeah. know, it, it yeah, it seems. I, I think I think so. Um, you know, a, lot, a lot of people think it is, but I get I get mixed reviews. I mean, some 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 people hate it. Yeah, that's like all books. You know, it just yeah. depends on what you know. You're, what you're 
state of mind is, you know, when you're reading it, that type of thing. I mean, it's sci-fi, it's, you know, political, it's, you know, uh, so it, you know, it, it's interesting on different fronts, mm-hmm. you know, it's got variety and the, the you know, good characters. And uh, how about Millie? What's Millie about? Well, once Millie gets to Earth, she needs, she needs a friend because she doesn't know which end. Oh, how is she going to convince people to go back with her? Uh, she's, so she, she's from Mund? Is she from Mund? Yes, yeah, Stella is from Mund. That's the name of her planet. And so uh, Millie comes, is introduced when she's a server, a food server, who serves Stella dinner at this, this saloon. And uh, she they strike up a friendship almost immediately because Stella needs a friend desperately. And Millie's just kind of a nice easy-going person. And so Millie helps her to uh, line up some candidates, and she explains the way things work out here. And it provides that friendship rule. And uh, it's another approach to life, just to be a kind of a laid-back and friendly person. Good. And, uh, Very nice. And then we got Oijin. What's Oijin about? Yeah, that's a, where did that name come from? I just, it, it just, I it almost looked like oxygen. I was a speed reader. I wanted to tell you, I, must, I took well, speed it, reading in high school. So I'm oh. like, when I see oigen, it always goes to oxygen. Uh, <laughs> that's what the editor, that's the editor thinks too. So uh, Oigen was, uh, I don't know where that name came from, but he's a chief of a, a primitive tribe in, in outer space. And like I mentioned earlier, they, they have a, a asteroid st- storm coming that's targeted right at them. And uh, John and company helped help them off, off the uh, planet. So Oigen is the chief, and he, he resonates with Walt a lot because Walt's got a physics background. And Oigen's mi- religious beliefs are kind of mystical by our standards. He thinks that uh, the... Uh, the, uh, the future is just uh, a repetition, endless repetition of explosions and big bangs. And each one, there's only so many particles in the universe. No matter how many, how large it is, it's still a finite number of particles. You can only arrange them in so many different ways. Now, it would take a long, long time to rearrange even once. But suppose time is not an issue. Suppose that um, any number of years could pass. And you'd be unaware of it because you're not activated. You're only activated once. Like after we had the Big Bang, and we, we, we do what we've done. We get where we are. So Oigen believes that you'll all be back in the same form, in the same place, sooner or later. And certainly it's going to be later. But uh, he has he has mystical beliefs like that, which actually resonate with all. Well, looks at it from a physical point of view, looking at the laws of thermodynamics of things, and says, yeah, that makes sense. I don't necessarily believe it, but you have the right to believe that. I don't have any disproof. So Walt and Oigen get along great. And, uh, Are you a religious and, type, Raymond? You're, do you? Yeah, um, I'm religiously non-religious. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a, a question that's out there with the, you know, the the UFO phenomenon that, you know, if it's, there's supposed to be a disclosure at some point, it's always tomorrow. Uh, 
<laughs> but it never seems to get disclosure, never seems to come. But uh, it seems to be getting closer. It seems to be getting closer, you know, as they eke out information and, you know, and with um, social media and, you know, nothing's a secret. And, um, you know, it's what's going to happen with the people that if it comes out that there is, ex, you know, extraterrestrials on Earth and what are they doing? And, you know, are mm-hmm. my wife says it kind of depends on what their attitude is. Are they, you know, bad or whatever? They always seem to be bad. In science fiction, they always seem to be bad. You know, and uh, the uh, like the my uh, my guest from last week, he made them very friendly. You know, so what do you think the religious implications are um, for people that are religious? I should say, what's going to be their reaction to the fact that maybe we were planted here, as you discussed earlier? What do you think the the their reaction is going to be? Well, um, I think that. We, we used to be comfortable with the idea that everything was made for us. That we're the center of the universe. And God created the whole universe just to adorn us. That's hard to defend anymore. When you see that you're just another planet. And you're no more advanced than your neighbors. And you're no more privileged. It's going to be hard to, to sell the idea that God is there just for us. That's why I think it's a difficulty. Yeah, I think it might be. Well, there was a movie called Con, um, Contact where, you know, they we were able to go through to another universe through a wormhole and the, the religious, there was a character by, played by Gary Busey who was the religious fanatic and he blew up the machine. And every oh. time, every time I hear, every time I, I discuss the religious implications of um uh, if the ETs are here, I kind of think of that. I don't think they're all, everybody that's religious is going to act like that. I've talked to, I have a gentleman in Florida who's had sightings. He has sightings all the time. He's at the Okeechobee, Lake Okeechobee. And he have sees, you ever had a sighting? What's that? Have you ever had a sighting yourself? I saw, the only thing I've seen is that, I haven't seen a UFO that I know of specifically, but I lived up in the foothills of California. And one night there was, it looked like three stars in a triangular triangular pattern off in the distance. And it looked like lights, kind of like an aircraft, but it was a point of light coming through this triangle, but it, you, not nothing from behind. It was kind of just exiting out the triangle. And uh, I was with uh, my son and his friend. My son didn't see it, but his friend clearly saw it with me. And it was really bizarre. I could we couldn't figure out what it was. Have you ever seen anything? No, I wish I did. I wish I did too. <laughs> I would love to be able to put my hand on one. I have this discussion with people all the time. I just want to be able to, you know, see it with my own eyes, and you know. But you know, as you get on in years, you're like, how's oh, it ever? ever going to happen <laughs> or if you know they're going to be able to disclose actually what's going on so i don't know so um you have anything left to talk about in the book there sir no i think we're pretty well done okay we're going to go ahead and wrap it up
Thanks for okay. listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening to the Alien Probe podcast. Hear us on all podcast platforms. Visit us on YouTube at Alien Probe Podcast. Like and subscribe. Visit us on Twitter and Instagram at Alien Probe Pod. Thank you to our producer, Robert Anthony, and of course, Raymond Hunter. And we have, let's go ahead and put the book up again, Raymond. One more time so we can wrap it up, get you some. Everybody go out. We can find it on Amazon, right? That's right. Okay. Thanks again. Hope to see you soon. And like and subscribe, Alien Probe Podcast, and watch the skies.